all this great science is there but we, to make a difference for a species that's on the brink of extinction in a more immediate way um, we've got to be creative and we've got to think about how research and outreach combine Hello and welcome to A New Angle. I'm your host, Justin Angle, Associate Professor of Marketing at the University of Montana College of Business. This podcast is my chance to speak with cool people doing awesome things in and around Missoula, Montana. We're interested in creativity and hustle, and the people we'll speak with here exude both of those in spades. Buckle up and let's go. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for tuning in today. Today, I got to sit down with Lisa Mills. Lisa Mills has launched this really interesting and important collaborative project here at University of Montana. What she and her colleagues have done is created the first certification for tea. And the certification uh, is called Elephant Friendly Tea. And so if you haven't heard of the connection between elephants and tea farming, we are going to get into that today. It is so interesting, the, the impacts environmentally, socially, economically of tea growth um, in East Asia and the, the really detrimental effects it's having on the already endangered Asian elephant. So Lisa's passionate about that. Uh, it's a project that's collaborative here at the University of Montana. It touches business. It touches policy. It touches uh, science. It touches wildlife management. So many departments, and it's a great example of the sort of collaboration that's possible here at um, at a university like the University of Montana. So uh, it was really fun. I enjoyed talking to Lisa, and we'll turn it over to her. So we're here today with Lisa Mills of Elephant Friendly Tea. Lisa, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. What is Elephant Friendly Tea? <laughs> All right. Well, um, that's a big question. So it's we a big maybe question. maybe take it in yeah. chunks. But. Well, actually, what it's starting as a certification program for tea producers, and tea is actually the the drink that. More people drink on Earth than anything except for water. And okay. so it really, the impacts are tremendous. And the impacts on elephants, which happen to thrive in the same environment as the tea plant, overlap quite a bit. And so the impacts of tea production are tremendous on elephants. When you say impacts, what do you mean? The elephants get hurt or they get stressed? Or what, is that, what does well, that mean? A number of things happen. But first of all, way back when first in India in particular, when tea plantations were first established by the British, these were established right in elephant corridors. And so elephants lost their habitat to tea plantations. So they're, they're migratory animals, is that what you're... They move around a, a huge range. Some call okay. them migratory, some are just saying they're moving around, but they okay. they do move um, hundreds of kilometers potentially per year, and they move from forest and grassland areas across a big swath of land, and they have seasonal movements. Okay. And so these plantations are in the path? In the pathway. Mm-hmm. And that that would seem to be problematic. Yes. And there are a number of other things that happen. Um, so in conventional tea production, um, the goal is to produce as much tea as possible for the lowest cost possible to make a profit. And with that come some things that have to do with efficiency and sure. high production. And so, mm-hmm. you know, first of all, you have the impact of the chemicals used in tea agriculture. And those chemicals go into the water 
Elephants don't actually eat the tea plant. It is a native plant that was discovered in that part of the world, but it's now cultivated and produced tea, you know, but it's not something that elephants will eat. But okay. they do need to move between and amongst the tea to get um, to their remaining fragments of habitat so that they get enough forage to eat and survive. So I, I mean, I'm going to be completely ignorant this whole mm-hmm. conversation, but think sure. about this, like, you can't just put a fence up, right? <laughs> People try. Yes. My my intuition would be an elephant doesn't have much use for a fence. just goes where it kind of here. Well, yeah. I mean, sometimes walls and fences are put up, and sometimes um, even electric wires are put up that actually can harm elephants if they're not installed properly. And so we've actually been tracking for years. This is part of something that started as a conservation, a community-based conservation outreach program mm-hmm. and education about elephants that I was involved in. We can we can talk about that story. But but what to get some background information is where I started looking into what was happening to elephants. And that pointed to where we were finding a high percentage of mortality um, was happening on or in the edges of tea plantations. And then okay. the further we looked into what mortality was happening. Mortality elephants dying. Elephants dying. Yeah. And that could be at any age class. So that could be baby elephants okay. dying all the way up to full mature adults. And so with this also, so, so poisonings were happening, but also electrocutions so from fencings or even illegal use of tapping wire, electrical wires that oh, were put yeah. out. Yeah. We also, um, and this was all with the help of local communities that were living in these zones, giving information that we were mapping, you know, university students were helping to to create GIS mapping of the of the mortalities okay. for a, a number of years. And um, so we were just tracking it and looking for hot spots. Where were things really, really harmful to elephants? And that's where we decided to focus our efforts. And so also there are these deep, narrow ditches that have been the design that's used commonly, and it's actually recommended even by the Tea Board of India as a way to drain the water. I mean, there's a high rainfall area, um, you know, in northeast India is where I'm thinking, especially at the base of the Himalayas, where you have monsoon season, all this water needs to go out. And these open ditches really are, they're too deep and too wide for a baby elephant to pass safely when they're really young. And so often you'll find um, that, you know, there's trouble for these baby elephants trying to cross, and even mortalities of baby elephants. Often the mother will try to save and pull the baby out, but, you know, the the mud and so on can go on to the baby. And so what we did is just keep track of what was happening and kind of watch it. And then we also found that human-elephant conflict, that people always chasing the elephants and trying to move them somewhere else. And where else are they going to go when there are a few fragments of natural habitat left in a region? And so... Really, it's, you know, moving the problem around. And so sometimes, once in a while, you'll find retaliatory killings. But by and large, people in that part of the world are pretty tolerant of elephants considering. I mean, houses get damaged, crops get eaten. People occasionally do get killed by elephants. They're big, strong animals that, you know, have a, quite a strong reaction to being chased by how, and so how on. How prevalent <laughs> yeah. are elephants in this in this area? Okay, well, there are two large remaining places on Earth where eight Asian elephants are in good numbers still, and that is in southern India and also in northeast India. Other places have elephants, but for example, there's only about 200 elephant Asian elephants left in all of China. Wow. Okay. And those are divided into eight small fragmented populations sure. that can't meet up with each other. Vietnam's down to 75 elephants. 
Um, Cambodia, somewhere in the neighborhood of 400 or 500 elephants. And so what's happened is a lot of regions had great numbers of elephants, but the decline over time is tremendous. So we're looking at areas where there's still a chance to save larger populations of wild elephants if we intervene in time. And so that kind of led and pointed to this this idea that we could change the way tea is grown to make it elephant-friendly. And that actually was an idea of tea growers who were worried about their bottom line, and they are the ones who suggested that we work on this together. Well, it makes sense. I mean, a tea grower's got to be thinking, or a tea seller, thinking, well, there's this kind of this, if we're going to be safe to elephants, there's this a lot of additional costs and, and things we have to incur, yet to the consumer, probably before your organization has come along, it's completely invisible. I don't, I don't meet many people that know that there's a relationship between the tea they drink and the impact it has on elephants. Yeah. So it's a lot of fun for me because everywhere I go and I tell the story for the first time to people, um, they find it kind of surprising. And I love to see the reaction and I love to educate people about this issue. And, you know, it's I make a lot of friends this way because I have so many people who want to help and want to know how to get involved in helping elephants. And this is such an easy way. Like the choice of tea you drink makes a huge difference for Asian elephants in that part of the world. And so you are now building a certification Yes, so we're starting with that. So what we've done is we've created um, a pilot project. And can I can I interject? Sure. Um, When you say we, tell us a little bit about the group and you know because this is a collaboration with the university and and some others. Okay. Well, I'll back up. First of all, I'll say that. My husband is a professor at University mm-hmm. of Montana, mm-hmm. Scott Mills, and he had a sabbatical some years back and was going to it was heading to the Kingdom of Bhutan to to live for his sabbatical and where he would be training biologists in Bhutan and he has students who are Bhutanese and just across the border are, you know is India and there's a shared population of elephants that goes back and forth it and when they move into India there's the tea zone um one of the it's Assam that region is really known for tea and a lot of the tea that you drink in the U.S. say you get some iced tea um, more often than not it might very well be Assam produced tea and so we have a strong connection whether we know it or not that we're drinking tea that may have um, been grown with elephants moving through it so we went there. I really was just hanging around looking for things to do while mm-hmm. our kids were in school. And so what I did is volunteered to create lesson plans for teachers in Bhutan, since that was something I'd been doing in the United States, you know, a science okay. educator and wildlife um is my primary interest, especially endangered species. And it was recommended by the folks from the government of Bhutan that I work on an elephant education project because they felt that there were a lot of problems around what was happening to elephants, this population of elephants that was shared between two countries. So in my research is where I started to look into what what happens to elephants at what time of year, and that's when I started to hear the stories. And then um, from there... I was kind of on my own working on these educational projects until I wrote a grant proposal and we funded um, a project with communities. And then we got another grant and did that as well. But eventually it led to the fact that we're really not addressing the underlying problem here and what can be done. And so that's when I started asking questions. And on my own, I tried to come up with a certification program, but realized very quickly that you need to partner if you're going Mm -hmm. to scale up and really do this. And we need people who are involved that have experience with certification 
programs because that if that's going to be an incentive, you know, there's a lot to tackle there. So I it was recommended that I reach out to the Wildlife Friendly Enterprise Network okay. and University of Montana. Um, backed up this idea that we could start this project and in, in join forces and really work on this. Um, we have, you know, we have a top-ranked wildlife biology program in North America here at University the of Montana. Top ranked, right? And it is. Yeah. And, and we have all this expertise. We could work with an organization that's used to doing um, the audits and understands the certification world, sure. but they also have a, a wildlife conservation mission. And that partnership is what began. And so what I did is I identified the things that I had been gathering with student help and community citizen scientists over in India. So, so these were villagers who we gave GPS units and cameras to for years, and they had been giving us the data on what was happening. Um, and we just put it all together into the idea that, okay, these are the things that are problematic. Could we turn these into standards that um, the tea growers could try to achieve? Okay. And if so, we needed an incentive And for then them. collaboration with the mm-hmm. growers, too. You're probably going yes. back and forth on, hey, what is possible for mm-hmm. you guys to do and not do mm-hmm. and what makes sense? Yes, and we still are. Actually, we're still in the first phase because we're only working with small growers. We have two... Um, small tea growers, that means 20 acres or less, yeah. in, but you know, so far, but to try out these standards and see what the market reaction is. And this year, in 2018, we're beginning to um, work with large growers to see if we could begin to scale up and can things be done on a larger scale and what kind of investment would that take for the changes to be made. With small growers, it's a bit easier to tackle because the costs are lower and many of the things that that they're doing are closer already to the standards of certification as elephant-friendly. Okay, okay. It might just require a few things like removing some fences and, and so on. So that's where we I mean, started. Are some of the dynamics with tea growing over in India similar to agriculture in the States? There can be small sort of family backyard farms versus giant agricultural I mean, industrial agricultural operations. Absolutely. So, it, in fact, now more tea is produced in India by small growers, over 50%. Interesting. Um, okay. And then, and often they will sell their teas to the large growers who will then have, you know, have the scale of operation for the packaging and shipping mm. and so on. And so it's stuff. really, yes. And then the, there's also a move towards organic and the markets are developing and changing and also a premium tea market. So, We've been used to cheap tea in little bags and boxes that we get off the shelf for a long time in the United States. But what is happening is there's tremendous growth in the tea market um, for specialty products, higher quality, whole leaf teas. They're higher in antioxidants. They tend to, um, you know, be a, of a higher quality and sure. taste. And it's almost like the wine industry where people who really know tea know so many things about the, the different flavors and varieties and what is quality versus a more common type of tea that you you may be used to drinking. Yeah, and it would seem the time is sort of ripe for that with sort of the explosion and in interest in craft breweries and, 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 and small wineries and tiny distilleries and just sort of this this this, this sort of obsession with um, with small operations and, and, and craft oriented products. Do you think that is Maybe part of this mix with your with the tea. Yeah, so that's where we've started out. Um, we felt that certification wasn't enough. That we we have this wonderful business school here at UM campus, and also the 
um, Blackstone Launchpad, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. we've tapped resources all around, and we're we're bringing more and more people onto the team to really tackle this as something that students can en- engage with, and we can learn from what's happening with the emerging markets. How do you do marketing um, to our best advantage, and how do you turn into this into something that we can also um, develop? You know create resources that can come back into supporting the project and expanding our research, education, and even the outreach and service component. Um, The impacts of this entire project go beyond just certification. Um, So we're engaging a lot of different angles in this one um, to make this really successful, we hope. (laughs) Anyway, so far, we already... We actually have already found some of these specialty companies that are on board with us, and they're selling products. And yeah, I can so tell you about that. Of these companies? Well, we started um, the launch with Lake Missoula Tea Company. Yep. So I approached okay, them with, yep, yeah, I approached them with a short meeting um, at their store. It's right here in Missoula. I just said, "Hey, do you mind if I come over and tell you about Elephant Friendly Tea Certification?" Mm-hmm. And um, so they were having a staff meeting, and I just had a short presentation with some slides, showed some elephants and tea guns, talked about some of the problems, said what we were doing. By the end of that conversation, which ended up being less than an hour, they said, we're sold, we want to carry certified elephant-friendly and tea. Let's going into try. that conversation, mm-hmm. did they know about the issues with elephants? No. they and they so are even somebody who's making their own tea, selling it? Mm-hmm. Both wholesale and retail mm-hmm. were unfamiliar with I mean, they certainly understood that wildlife um, sure. you know, and biodiversity is benefited when the tea gardens are, you know, organic and have um, inter- are interplanted with a wealth of trees and so on. But they didn't really know about the elephant problem, I think. So, okay. yeah, that was fun to see their reaction and also to see their excitement about the opportunity to be part of this. Yeah, their owners are very much, they care a lot about the environment. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, this seems like this really interesting communications challenge in that you've got an issue that nobody really knows about. Mm-hmm. Yet, I mean, based on what you said and based on my own reaction, once you tell one person about it, it's powerful. Yeah. I, like, I'm, I, I feel like I, I'm not buying any tea that's not elephant friendly ever again. <laughs> yes. And the, the, the real problem is how are you going to find it? There aren't, yeah, there aren't a lot of brands yet. But I will tell you, I just got back from Oregon, and, um, and we also did this in Colorado recently. We are now... Um, we now have a number of brands carrying it, so okay. already, and it's we're only a year into this, but I just landed two more, two more businesses. These are Oregon-based businesses, both committed to sourcing elephant-friendly tea. So when you say sourcing elephant, so what does that look like? If I'm Lake Missoula Tea and I decide, okay, Lisa, I'm all in with elephant-friendly. What do they then have to do? Well, first of all. Um, you know, for us, we have to find a way to support our efforts because there are, you know, costs involved. So what we what we do, as in me, I guess in this case, is I work directly with the certified farmers, and I make sure there's tea available that's and these been are certified. Farmers that you've certified, right? Yes, Your with, organization. In, yeah, in in partnership with the Wildlife Friendly Enterprise Network. Okay. And this is a pilot certification, so we know that it the final the final standards still might get tweaked because we, you know, we. We have gone all out to make sure every little thing that could harm elephants um, needs to be perfect. But as we scale up, some of the challenges might be, you know, how 
can you really require that there is absolutely no fencing in a tea estate, for yeah. example? That's a tough one if you're going to scale this up because there are just some areas where you know a tea producer really is in, is going to need to keep elephants out. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be a little bit adaptable as we scale this up. But for really small growers who are able to apply these standards fully and 100%, this is we're good to go. So now we're, we're looking at um, expanding. And we also have um, three companies in Colorado sourcing elephant-friendly tea and two zoos are on board, yeah. and they are as well. And then even one more zoo, the Houston Zoo, wants to come up with their own branding, um, branded products that they can sell as a conservation fundraiser for elephants. So Because a lot of zoos really want to give back to um, wild wildlife conservation efforts yeah. back where the species live on the ground. And so they that is their way of raising that funds. That seems like super mm-hmm. smart marketing sort of target segment. Yes. Excellent. Yeah. So what what does that process look like? I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of activity. There's new, you know, mm-hmm. you said Oregon, Colorado, these mm-hmm. new tea producers mm-hmm. are coming on board, starting with, you know, you started with Lake Missoula. Yeah, so. How does it go from Lake Missoula to now all the others that are, that are coming on board? Well, Lake Missoula, first of all, is a retailer, but also is a wholesaler. So okay. they can resell to a number of shops and coffee and tea shops, uh, grocery stores and so on, because they have branded products. Mm-hmm. So that is one way this is moving forward is they have all this opportunity to sell the certified elephant-friendly tea in the line that they've developed of green teas and black teas that are certified. And now they've added a third line. It's an, a second black tea that's slightly different flavor and type okay. that they're creating that line as well. So they'll have three lines that can go all over. And they, they don't just sell in Montana, but they mostly sell uh-huh. to, to others in Montana. Okay, then another. I had a contact in Colorado, so I went down and did presentations and brought samples, and they were sold on the idea. So a wholesaler there has found um, several businesses to sell products to as well. Okay, and now in Oregon, it was a lot like starting the way I started with Lake Missoula. I went and basically met with people, gave them samples. Knocking on doors. Yes. The other thing I've done is I've found others who can tell our story. Ah. So sometimes when I meet with people, they say, gosh, how can I help? And what I notice is that we have people who are very mobile. They move around to different states. So, for example, I had a student here. Well, she was a graduate student. She came to work here in Missoula for the summer, even though she was a graduate student at another um, university in another state. When she needed to go back, she took the story with her and started okay. taking samples around to stores in another state. And this is where I realized, you know, we could actually expand by engaging. Like we have a lot of out-of-state out students here mm-hmm. at the University of Montana even. Where do they go back to during the Send holidays? The, the <laughs> Send them the home with samples. And, so, and the other thing I really hope we can get... Um, UM branded products started as well as a way okay. to kind of capture more of the um, opportunity here to support student engagement. I would love nothing more to involve students, for example, in some of the audits of the 
plantations and let them experience what it's like because we need help. We do mapping of the sites. We do biodiversity assessments. And to really be able to support students to engage fully in this project, you know, we need to raise some funds and help make that happen. But the educational opportunities, you know, and elephants are, are one species we really want to do this with. But it's a great model, I think, for other types of um, projects where agriculture has impacts on wildlife. You could use the same model. It, yeah, it seems like a slam dunk as far as the type of work that uh, a, an organization like University of Montana should be engaging in. A public-private partnership that can facilitate research, teaching, improving the world, yeah. and have an impact on you know, not, only, not only the local economy but beyond. Yeah, You know, scientists um, have said again and again that we may only have 20 years left for wild populations of Asian elephants if, if something doesn't change the trajectory of their decline. They are going extinct faster than African elephants who who get a lot of attention because of the ivory issue. So I've kind of taken on as like, I feel like I need to speak loudly and yeah. speak frequently about, you know, the loss of Asian elephants because it's a quiet loss. When forests just disappear and things happen um, that nobody really hears about, then you don't take action. And so I feel like this is the kind of project that brings everything out in the light and it gives everybody a chance to say, okay, I could buy a cup of tea um, that is elephant-friendly, and that would, in turn, give money to the cause. The other thing is every bag of tea sold with the pricing that we're developing with the farmer and the buyers is paying for a tree to be planted for reforestation for elephant habitat in areas where the where the habitat has been degraded. So okay. where there's still a chance of recovering the habitat, improving it, and improving the um, places where elephants can spend more time. That's what we're doing in addition to the certification. So already we have pretty much two directions that we can go to help improve things for elephants in a very immediate way. Yeah, so it's not just about preventing the mortality. It's about in increasing the sort of sustainability of the habitat, I guess. Yes, because a lot, that's right, because a lot of protected areas in other parts of the world, as well as in the U.S., can get degraded over yeah. time, that people can remove too much of the um, understory, taking out firewood, for example, or trees get felled in places that are too remote, remote to be monitored on a regular basis. And what happens is when you engage local communities in this kind of effort, they start keeping an eye on those forests, and they realize that if, if they could protect the forests and recover those forests, the elephants will spend more time in the forest instead of in their crop fields hungry looking yeah. for a free meal. And right. it, it helps the people, and they're seeing this, and they certainly have a lot of knowledge about this, and we're just trying to support them, and we're actually create, generating employment by having the local people start tree nurseries so that we can purchase right. these trees and have them involved in the projects. So local jobs, I guess my next question is pricing implications. Okay. So for an end user, mm -hmm. you go into Missoula Tea Company and you put two next to each other, elephant friendly, regular, is there is there a price difference for the customer? Well, you know, there are all kinds of teas and all kinds of quality right, right. and the pricing is still being you know worked out as far as at this point what the producer charges 
plus what we have to add on mm-hmm. to run the program because really a small farmer, for example, can't pay the kind of fees a certification program n- normally requires. Right. So we're trying to make it free or very inexpensive for that grower so they can get certified because already they're going to have some changes they have to make. And we're trying to support that as best. You're doing that through grant funding? Or yeah. Like we, what's the primary Well, what we have so far is donors and then also just the pure the pricing. If we add, we add some extra um money you know in between basically sure. what the what the producer of the tea can charge we add some extra that can then go reinvest in that community and helping okay. with so projects somewhere on in the, the ground. supply chain the product gets marked up to yep. reflect the certification the certification pass as much of that back to the yep. grower as yeah. possible but if you look on the shelf of late missoula tea company you won't really notice for a small bag of tea much of a difference in pricing of this tea mm, okay. now i think there is the Potential because it is so high quality for them to market it. You know, it's it's got a double double whammy there. It's really good tea, by yep. the way. It's yep. really. I mean, I took it to the World Tea Expo and had a lot of um, tea experts taste it, and the comments were like, "Wow, well, sure, it's right at the base of the Himalayas, fresh water. Um, it it's really um, a high quality soil in that region." where these two farms are that have been certified, this is really good tea, and the, the tea growers really know, know tea well. So they know what they're doing. This is fantastic stuff. But the more we certify more and more places, the tea won't always be the same tea. So we'll have different types that are available, sure. and more and more types available, more and more price um, points. So different buyers who have a different purpose. For example, a company in... Oregon called Metolius Tea mm-hmm. is already producing bottled chai that they themselves have their own original blends. It's a liquid chai that you can buy and stick in your refrigerator. Okay. It's delicious. It has spices blended in. They want to source um, the little, the smaller pieces called fannings. This is kind of what's left over at the bottom, the little yeah. crumbs yeah. of tea that get pulled together. But that you don't need as much the whole tea leaf tea for the chai blend they're going to do. So they're looking, they can source a different type of tea at a different price. I think though when you go to buy a cup of tea, you'd hardly feel the difference of a few you know, a few pennies on the sure. dollar. You're making a, a huge difference when, you know, you look at the total impact of many, many people buying tea that's certified elephant friendly. It's going to add up. And so will these products be will they have that sort of uh, branding on them, your elephant say or elephant friendly, yeah. excuse me, l- logo to some extent, whether it's on the bottle of chai or whether it's on the bag of that's of right, tea. that's right. So there's a logo licensing yeah. um, for this. Um, so another it, revenue, model, yeah. So the logo. same company that um, does branding for Patagonia Company, I see you have a magazine here on the table. They're involved. They're, they're the ones who did for free the. The design work, it's called the Dupuy Group, and they did the design work for the logo of the Elephant Friendly. Um, and that, it's Elephant Friendly Tea right now. There may be other products in the future, like coffee and spices, where elephants and those things overlap. And we ha- can come up with standards that might improve the conditions for elephants in other ways. But for now, it's the tea. And that logo um, can be used by the companies that are authorized to, and, and actually do, you know, officially source from from certified elephant-friendly sites, and so we just have to track that, make sure that that logo doesn't get used in, in you know on any products that right, right. are not fully um, you know sourcing tea that's certified mm-hmm. under this program. 
And if you looked as, as the kind of two other prominent examples kind of come to mind when I've, when I've learned about your work, Lisa, and that's, I remember Dolphin Safe Tuna mm-hmm. came up when I was younger and, you know, there's a lot of visual storytelling around that that was visceral and disturbing. Yes. But it certainly made an impact. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you know, I learned about Songbird Coffee, for example. Mm-hmm. Without that visual storytelling, storytelling, it was largely just reading about it uh, mm-hmm. through whatever, whatever websites. Um, have you thought about the example of those two as, as maybe yes. a model of what to do and not do as you're trying to grow awareness for, for this issue? Well, I do ask a lot of people because Dolphin Safe was sort of part of when I was young, I was hearing about that for yeah. the first time. And I was really um, I was really disturbed that dolphins were being harmed, you know, yeah. in the process of me yeah, being able to eat tuna. Yeah, videos of the nets, <laughs> yeah. and it was just awful. Yeah, and so actually for me, that was, it made a difference that, you know, I really knew what was really happening to dolphins. And I also knew about the songbird um, story with coffee, and that, that was a kind of a, you're right, a positive way that that was created, you know, that more habitat, more opportunity for yeah. songbirds to, you know, to migrate and have places to go along their migra- migratory route. That's a terrific positive way. And for me, either one works. Um, for example, I was I always do public presentations where we launch in a new city or you know place. And so last week I did three different presentations in Oregon. Um, one was a public at an environmental center, sure. one for the public. Um, and I did show some slides of the negative things that happened to elephants. So mm-hmm. I warned the audience in advance they're going to see some things and that happened to elephants that are directly related to tea production. And a baby elephant in the ditch would yes. be the slam dunk vision. Yeah, well, what I have is a picture of an, a baby elephant that's jumping a ditch and then it hits its head on the other oh, side. And gosh. it doesn't show what happened afterwards, but it was very clear that yeah. it wasn't able to leap across that ditch and it falls in. And, and, and there's some kind of potential in, injury. So that's that one. Um, but also some other more gruesome things that happen when elephants are poisoned or electrocuted. Mm-hmm. I, I do have a lot of photos that have been collected, but I tend, but I I tend to think that for the most part, you know, we can tell the story of connectivity of a landscape for elephants. So people will get that that there's for an elephant. You know, I tell the story of how they they need to eat eat eighteen out yeah. of twenty four hours a day. I mean, that, wow. that is the one that always everyone says, wow, okay. So then you figure there's an elephant trying to move from a small fragment of forest, and they need to get to a place where there is more to eat, and, and they get, need to get to water, but they have to cross through these large expanses of tea, mm-hmm. and there are, you know, chemicals being used and sprayed everywhere. It's going into the water. There are um, obstacles like people, people, people yelling yeah. at them, yeah. chasing them, even with All fire at the end. Of, yeah, so, so I think we can tell those stories in this case, and, you know, I think it's pretty clear to people. I have yet to find anyone that I you know, tell these stories to who doesn't say, wow, I'd love to change to elephant-friendly mm-hmm. tea. Mm-hmm. So how do we get that story out? That's a challenge. I am not a marketing person. <laughs> I am truly an educator, you know, science education and outreach. That's been my career all along. And so, you know, it's going to be interesting for me to work with people that I can learn from who are really good at marketing and sure. really good, you know, at telling these stories in a way that, you know, we can get this mo- scaling up. And already we're in five states, so not bad in a year, I guess, but it's, it's just a beginning. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully, you know, this little podcast will help get some of the stories out, but also it sounds like you are just 
out there hustling, trying mm-hmm. to get the yeah, word out. Yeah, I'm heading out. to Colorado this week for Excellent. another round. <laughs> and why, you know, we didn't really get into this too much in too much detail, but why is the University of Montana such a such a fertile place for you to be doing this kind of work? Well, I think, for one, um, you know, I've always worked on wildlife-related um, projects here at University of Montana, right. so in different roles on campus. And for me, I've just gotten to know so many people who are passionate about conservation. I think that is also a big reason why students, a lot of students come to University of Montana. So even now as I meet business school students, so many of them are passionate mm-hmm. about you know, businesses that have a purpose, a cause. Right. Many of them are related to the environment in some way. And so I think there's fertile ground because of maybe it's what brings so many of us. Many of us are from somewhere else originally. Uh-huh. They We came to Montana because we love the natural world. And I wonder if that's a little bit of um, a theme that's running across campus. But people are so passionate about making positive changes in the world. And also that we have a social good part of this too. We're really helping communities reduce conflict with elephants and, and, and improving their livelihoods. And so, so we also capture that. And we seem to have a lot of um, programs on campus that really do have a, a thread of social good. What we do, we do to make a difference. Yeah. I mean, it seems like like I said before, the slam dunk sort of project that this community should be working on and embracing, but also the sort of place where, you know, you can really drive a passion project like this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've worked with the broader impacts group with the University sure. of Montana. And so our purpose really is to bring, you know, to bring current research out to the world and, and make an impact. Mm-hmm. And for me to see, to know that, you know, this all this great science is there, but we, to make a difference for a species that's on the brink of extinction in a more immediate way, um, we've got to be creative and we've got to think about how research and outreach combine and 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 then the creativity aspect um, that folks like the marketing folks here and the mm-hmm. business folks have here. And, and then we have to have the solid numbers. Like I have, it's so wonderful to have the help, um, here from students in the business school who run the numbers and help with business plans. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is for me a resource that we couldn't raise that much money that fast. This project, if we wait, elephants, you know, could go extinct. So here we are just bootstrapping it up with everything. And I just appreciate that this university can support a project like this. I'm just quarter time on this project, but yep. I think we're making a big difference considering the commitment that's been made here. Absolutely. So, Lisa, this has been fantastic. I was, it was really exciting to learn more about this initiative. We talked about it previously, but I encourage folks to go out and, and learn more about this because it's super important. Lisa, how can people learn more if they want to? Let's see. Well, we have a website. Um, it's www.elephantfriendlytea.com, and it's a joint website between the University of Montana and our partners, the Wildlife Friendly Enterprise Network. Um, so you can go there, and we update that frequently, and we also have a list of where to buy elephant-friendly tea. And then we also have an Instagram account, just elephant-friendly tea, and also a Facebook page under the same name. Right on. Lisa Mills, thank you very much. Thank you. All right. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Lisa. Really important work that she's doing. Again, to learn more about it, go to www.elephantfriendlyt, one long word, dot com. Next week is a big one. I am super excited about it. We're going to feature my conversation with Jeff Ament, 
bassist for Pearl Jam. I've been a Pearl Jam fan for a long, long time. And uh, yeah, this conversation was really fun. So I look forward to it and I look forward to hearing what all of you think of it. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. Remember that A New Angle was brought to you by CED, Consolidated Electrical Distributors. They're our first sponsor and we can't thank them enough. CED is one of the largest electrical wholesale supply companies in the country with nearly 600 locations nationwide. CED is a privately owned business-to-business company that distributes just about every piece of equipment you need to keep your lights on, your energy flowing, and your lifestyle comfortable. CED is also an important employer in our community, and they have a keen interest in University of Montana graduates. To explore career opportunities, check out www.cedcareers.com. Moving forward, if you have any suggestions for guests, cool people doing awesome things, please let us know. And if you enjoy this podcast, there are several ways you can support it. First, rate us on iTunes. Ratings help others find the show. Second, write a review. The more reviews we get, and hopefully positive ones, the more we can grow. And third, please just tell your friends about it. In addition, you can also support A New Angle financially. For information on sponsorship opportunities, please visit our website, www.business.umt.edu slash a new angle. There you will also find a link to support the pod. Before we go, I'd like to thank a few folks for making this project happen. First, my colleagues at the College of Business for supporting this endeavor. In particular, Professor Josh Herbold for writing and recording original music for the show. We also have music provided by Switchback Records, a student-run record label here at the college. I'd also like to thank Elizabeth Willie, recent UM graduate Michelle DeFluke, and the entire comms team here at the College of Business. And finally, thanks to my producer, Stefan Borson. As we close, if you have any suggestions, comments, questions, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. Help us spread the word, and be sure to use the hashtag anewangle when you do. Thanks a lot, and see you next time.